and hold the microphone, so I'll just have to lean over. One time in Massachusetts, I, they had a sort of a faulty PA system, and I said, can you hear me? And some of them yelled, we can hear you, but we can't understand you. <laughs> I had a little trouble understanding them, too. I think accents are charming as long as I can decipher, you know, translate them. My name is Blanche, and I am a member of a worldwide fellowship called Al-Anon High. And I thought last night when I was going over these notes, you know, I do this a lot of places, and uh, I seem to change the format everywhere, which I tell myself just means I'm getting more flexible. You don't know how rigid I used to be. But I decided that you're going to hear tonight every move I've ever made and everything I've ever done, and there's no point in telling you this morning. When I go to workshops and people presume to share, you know, experience with me, I want to know a little bit about them. But uh, if I take time to do that, we really will run out of time. So um, I'll tell you all that tonight, okay? I obviously enjoy doing this. I, If I didn't, I would ask God to let me serve in some other capacity. And I'm very serious about that. But I, I sponsor a woman who says that it, I like to talk so much that when I open my refrigerator and the light comes on, I talk 20 minutes. <laughs> She's lying. It's not quite that bad. <laughs> but I especially like to talk about things that are dear to my heart, and sponsorship is. I uh, understand that everything in our program is suggested only. And... Uh, that we're allowed to take what we, you know, can use and leave the rest. That includes the steps, the traditions, certainly all the other guidelines and suggestions. But this is one that um, I found essential. And I find I still have a sponsor after 30 years. I use her regularly, not as often as I did the first 10 or 12 years in the program, but I still do. I don't think I ever outgrew my need for mentoring, you know, and uh, I sponsor a few lucky people, and they <laughs> they they would argue on that point. And it, I find that being a sponsor is like a course in remedial Al-Anon, you know. It's uh, it's exciting for me because it's sort of like taking a child to Disney World. You suddenly see it again through their eyes. I was in New Mexico many years ago, and at their convention they had a a big banner on the side of the room that said, do you know where your sponsor is tonight? And I thought that was kind of clever. And one of the very new people was in the group where we were commenting on it, and she said, well, that's right, because you never know when your sponsor might need you. And I thought, <laughs> so I hang around newcomers because they, they see it in a whole different way. And you never do know when your sponsor might need you. As far as I'm concerned, and please, if you don't hear anything else I say here, this is my experience, my observation. If you do it differently, have at it. There are a great many ways to do it right. I can only tell you what I've done because that's the only experience I've had. But it has um, it has been sort of non-negotiable to me. Uh, we don't have an Al-Anon Gestapo, you know, who's going to bang down your door at 2 in the morning say, which step are you on, you know? Do you have a sponsor? Are you observing the traditions and so forth? Many years ago, I taught elementary school. I taught mostly high school, but for the first three years, I taught elementary school. And uh, this was sixth grade in a little town in West Texas. 
We were having show and tell, and one of the youngsters brought an armadillo. Do you know what an armadillo is? Okay. They look like little dinosaurs. I'm always so glad when I see one that he's not 50 feet long. We were interested, all of us, and we were passing around the armadillo, and one of the kids wanted to know whether it was a boy or a girl armadillo. Well, there was no discernible evidence. I thought that would be of interest only to another armadillo, actually, but... uh, but we discussed it at some length, and there was, you know, heated uh, arguments as to which. Finally, and this is such a time-honored American way to handle things, finally one of them said, let's vote on it. <laughs> now, you try telling 10, 11, 12-year-olds there are some things you can't vote on. <laughs> and my opinion, okay, is that sponsorship is non-negotiable. But that has, uh, that's because it has worked so well for me. My mother used to tell me when I was growing up, be sure you marry a well-mothered man. She said his whole orientation toward women is determined by his relationship with his mother. And I did that. I did that twice, in fact. And uh, I do recommend it. I recommend you get a well-sponsored sponsor. We have no place in this fellowship for gurus. And I am absolutely horrified when one strong sponsor... uh, develops a cult following, and that happens. It may not happen here, but it happens some places. We don't have, you know, gurus and disciples in either of our fellowships. My sponsor, let me tell you about her. Her name is Donna Lancaster. She says this is not the public level, and if I mention her, I am to use both her names. She talks all over everywhere. You might like to invite her sometime. She's been in the program longer than I have. Donna was born with no legs. And um, you can imagine how she looks at me when I tell her how unfair life is to me. She just looks at me. She doesn't have to say anything. And I, eventually I hear what I'm babbling about and, and shut up. One, she does everything I can do, a lot of things I can't do. And one of the things she does is pilot planes. She's had several in the years since I've known her. And she uh, works as a dispatcher for an airline in, in Dallas. She... Uh, she told me once that sponsorship was very much like having uh, someone who's teaching you to fly and then eventually you solo, and then after that all you need is a co-pilot. And I like that idea because the people I sponsor are told when we start, eventually this will become co-sponsoring, so brace yourself, you know. And almost always it does. I have to tell you a little bit more about Donna. I would never have responded to anyone who told me to sit down and shut up. I hope you wouldn't either. I don't I don't like being patronized, and if you yell at me, I just turn you off. And so our, our discussions go something like this. I am holding forth, you know, at great length about all the uh, indignities in my life, and she will say, you know, when I uh, feel like that, I really have to look for self-pity. Now, that I can handle. But if she said, get off a pity pot, no way. And uh, it takes what it takes, and that's what it takes for me. Or if I'm saying, well, I don't treat him that way, or, well, I would never do that to her, she says, you know, when I talk like that, I have to listen for self-righteousness. And this is something I can hear. And since we don't live in the same city, every now and then she says, well, you know, if we saw each other more often, perhaps... And I can hear uh, 
her saying, a sponsor is like soap, you know, no good unless you use her. <laughs> and I, I just wish you could know her. She is something else. She has feet where we have knees, so she can walk. She's just gypsy, you know. And when she talks at conventions and things, she stands on a box. I think that there are, of course, excellent guidelines in our pamphlet on sponsorship, but you can read that for yourself. And despite all my years of being a teacher, I won't read to you today. I'm going to share with you my experience and my observations, and then I'm going to want to hear some of yours. You do know that a sponsor waits to be asked. That's because asking is part of the newcomer's therapy. We get here broken in different places, and we get here in various stages of disrepair. I don't know about you. I, uh, I came in so long ago that no one knew it was a family illness. And the idea that the family needed help too was just a revolutionary thought. I mean, 30 years ago, this was not common knowledge. And I didn't come in for me. That's true of a lot of us. I didn't think I needed any help. And asking for help was very much part of my therapy. And it took me a year to do that. When uh, I am asked to be a sponsor, I lay down conditions. I say, first of all, you have to go to meetings. I don't give backdoor Al-Anon. Now, there are people who love to come sit at my kitchen table and drink coffee and listen while I tell them about the program. I'll do that once. If you do that, this sounds harsh, you deserve it. <laughs> um, I tell them that I cannot begin to tell them what 12 or 20 people can tell them. And besides, they need the vibes from other people. I don't sponsor people who don't go to meetings. Now, that was easy. The first 18 years I was in Al-Anon, we had one meeting, one group in town, and if you weren't there, I knew it. <laughs> and I moved to Austin where there are 100 meetings, and I thought maybe I could have them bring a note from the chairman, you know. <laughs> I have to take their word for it, but I check on that. I think it's neat if you can go to meetings together, but it's not essential. I think it's fun when you can. And the second thing I tell them is you have to work the steps. I don't know how to sponsor someone that doesn't do the steps. And I've had a few people get as far as step four, and then we had to redefine our relationship because I couldn't sponsor people like that. They can do those usually, but the third requirement is a little harder. Some of them never get it, and that is, you must remember that I am in recovery too. And there are days when I'm depressed and angry and days when I'm bitchy and tired, and that doesn't mean Al-Anon doesn't work. You have to not expect me to walk on water. This is, this is something that they don't always acquire. People do not like it when I'm not okay. Some of you will, I started to say identify. <laughs> In California, they would say resonate. Some of you resonate to that to that truth. <laughs> I love it. I, I love words anyway, and I love to listen out there. <laughs> I was, uh, this will come out in more detail tonight. I was married after 11 years of being single in 1991, and uh, in June of 92, we found out my husband was terminally ill. We didn't talk about it for a while, but when I did tell my Al-Anon group, their response was, oh, well, you'll handle it. That isn't fair. Don't do that to people. Uh, I think recovery makes us, if anything, more sensitive. 
and our suffering is acute. And I try to tell this to people before we start a sponsoring relationship. I believe that sponsorship is sharing and that we don't need Nazi sponsors. I, uh, I try very hard to stick with just the program and what it teaches. And I know I sound like an English teacher. That's because I am, was. I've only been retired a year. But, but the program is in the literature. And if you listen to other people's experiences, great. But they're telling you how the program applies to their lives. And if that's all you ever hear, you don't know what program they're talking about. Now, I uh, would love, if I could get by with it, to give people I sponsor assignments. You will read these pages, and there will be questions next time. <laughs> I can't do that, of course. I can't even force them to read it. And I sponsor people who just don't read. It's just that they can't. They just don't. I wish, uh, I wish there was some way I could inspire them enough. But words do not do for everyone what they do for me. And you know what we do. What we do in the schools, too, we take a person where he is and bring him as far as we can. And that is true of sponsoring also. But you see, I can say, our literature says, and that's so much better than saying, I say, especially as we get newer books. For a great many years, we had, like primitive tribes, we had kind of an oral history in Al-Anon. There were things that were told to me, and I'll bet to you, that were never written down. Uh, practice makes progress. Uh, recovery is progressive too. Finally encouraged to change, that's written down. Have you noticed? Things that I was told all along, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. Finally it's in print. I was taught in step two from the very beginning. Think of it this way. You know, we came, then we came to, then we came to believe. Finally, that's written down. And so it pleases me to be able to say, look, our literature says. Now, to do that, I have to know what it says. And that's easy enough for me because I'm verbally oriented and I read probably more than is healthy. Um, if I have a compulsion, that's, that's it. I have asked myself, one way you can tell a compulsion is, what would you panic if you had to do without, you know? And that's the one thing. I even have books in the car. I mean, you never know when there's a traffic jam or something. <laughs> Besides, I can't say to someone, even though it's in the literature, I can't say it's been my experience unless it has. And I try to be very careful about that. I almost never say, I know how you feel, because I don't. Even if the circumstances are about the same. I was teaching high school when uh, I was divorced in 1980. We had a beautiful young woman on our faculty. She was 24. And she had been married briefly the year before, and the marriage was annulled because of some mental illness. And I know she meant well. But in the darkest days of this divorce, she said to me, Oh, I know how you feel. And I thought, Honey... I was married longer than you've been born. You don't have a clue as to how I feel. And I try not ever to say that. But what I can say if I've had that experience is, here's what worked for me when I was in a place very much like yours. I found out that we don't give advice. 
I didn't know how in the world you could help someone if you couldn't give him advice. I was taught and it has worked for me now all these years. What we can do is help other people see their available options. See, when I got to you, I thought I had three options. I thought I could divorce this man. I could live with him while we both tried to recover in our respective programs. Or I thought we we could have a close, warm, loving, communicative marriage. Of course, I opted for number three, and that was not one of my available options. And my sponsor pointed out that any time I'm miserable, I have opted for something that is not an available option for me. And what you do for me, and what I hope I do for the people with whom I talk, you help me see what my options are, and maybe more importantly, what they are not. Because I tend to opt for things that just aren't available options for me. Now, I I may be splitting hairs here. Sometimes I think our whole program consists of fine lines. Do you ever think that? There's a fine line between being good to yourself and self-indulgence, for instance. And what I want is one answer that works all the time. And you know, of course, that we have to apply the principles to everything that happens in a new and different way. So this is a fine line. If the person asks me for feedback... I can give that. Sometimes if he doesn't ask me for it, I can give it. But I generally remember to say, would you like some feedback to that or did you just want to talk about it? If a person says, how can I best use my program with my husband, with my wife, in my sex life, with my children, on my job, I believe I'm entitled to help him see that. I believe that being a sponsor gives me prerogatives that just being a friend does not. And uh, that's, you know, my opinion today. It has worked for me anyway. I also believe I am responsible for giving suggestions as to the program. Let me see if I can give you an example. Uh, I believe I can say to someone I sponsor, you know, I think it's about time that we started talking about inventory. But I cannot say, get married, get divorced, move to California, have a baby, quit your job. Does that make sense to you? It's awfully early, but I'm trying. (laughs) After I had taught school for a number of years, I became a counselor, and I am prejudiced in favor of getting help. And I urge the people I sponsor to get professional help if they need it. I have an advantage there uh, because of, you know, extensive, I almost said extensive, that too, uh, extensive training. I think I'm able to know when they need it. But I believe if you're close to someone, you'll know too. Maybe not, you know, immediately, but you will. And I not only urge them, I nag and I push. And our literature says we should get help if we need it. And common sense says that we get help when we need it. Alanon doesn't even claim to, you know, fill your teeth, set a broken leg, or do professional therapy. That is not our job at all. And just as I would urge them to get other kinds of help, I urge them to get professional help with emotional problems when it's appropriate. I will talk more tonight about the fact that my husband died in December. This morning at breakfast we were talking about stages of grief. And I have been telling myself things I used to tell my students when I did grief counseling with them. 
One is that if you break an arm or a leg, it's in a cast or a splint, and it's obvious that you have been hurt. And people see that. And at least at some level, they think, oh, you know, she's in pain. He's been hurt. Uh, they cut you some slack. But if the hurt is inside, nobody sees it. And you're expected to suit up and show up just as if nothing had happened. And because you taught me that I could take care of myself, I have found there are two things I can do about that. And one is be very gentle with myself. We're back to self-indulgence. Uh, wherever that fine line is, I believe I can do that for myself. I can nurture myself. And then I believe I'm responsible for telling you. I've quit thinking, thank goodness, that you can read my mind. And I don't expect you to know I'm in pain unless I tell you. And to ask for your consideration. That doesn't mean asking for a special favorite treatment. That means I'm able to say, uh, well, I went to our delegates conference in March in, in Wichita, uh, South Central. And several people there said, you've been so quiet. You can understand that that was conspicuous. <laughs> And I said, you know, I'm in really very deep grief, and I came here to be loved this weekend. Oh, <laughs> you have to draw some people a picture, and I'm willing to do that today. Uh, I think I can't complain about their treatment of me if they don't know where I am. And so today I'm willing to tell you where I am, because you can't see the cast and the splint. There are, of course, some controversial aspects sponsorship. Now, you and I may not agree on these. Listen, I was married for 30 years the first time. I uh, worked with teenagers 30 years. I, I have had two children of my own. It will not upset me to be disagreed with. I mean, I have been <laughs> disagreed with, okay? We had a Supreme Court Justice, Felix Frankfurter, years ago, and he said something that comforts me. He said, there are many issues about which reasonable people of goodwill disagree. So it's all right if we disagree. When our first sponsorship pamphlet came out, see, when I got into Al-Anon, we had one book and ten pamphlets. Those of you who got here with this vast supply of literature available to you, I wish you could know what it took to get it, to get it in print and get it to you. It was uh, blood, sweat, tears, the whole bit. First of all, convincing anyone that we needed it. When I was on the literature committee in New York, my area had urged me to ask this, and I said, we need some help with the fourth step. This was in 1973. And those people said to me, most Al-Anons don't do a fourth step. And I was aghast. I said, well, in Texas we do, and we need some help with it. And I, I was told, well, write something. So I did, and so did other people on the committee, and we came up with a blueprint for progress. Um, I will have to tell you that nothing I've ever been allowed to do in Al-Anon has given me the satisfaction and the pleasure of having helped to write a great deal of the literature. But that, that's another topic. I, I give a good talk on literature if you ever... <laughs> Can I tell you one little thing? This may interest you. We were so excited to get the first one day at a time book. 
it filled such a need. And our paid writer at that time was Alice Butler. She has since died. She was our staff writer. And when the first book came off the press, it was presented to her. And she she told me this story. She said she asked Lois to inscribe it. And Lois wrote in her book, With love and gratitude to the translator of this book, we all know who the author was, with a capital A. Don't you like that? I think that I never pick mine up without remembering that. Well, I can't tell you everything about literature. You can tell it's a subject dear to my heart. Uh, our first pamphlet said, Men Sponsor Men, Women Sponsor Women. I lived in West Texas. It was 100 miles between towns, sometimes 200. And out there, people sponsored people. Besides, back then, we had so few men in Al-Anon. So when Linda McFadden came on as the staff writer and was revising that pamphlet, a great many of us called her and wrote her and said, Linda, you have to acknowledge that sometimes this is the way it works. And those very words are in our pamphlet now. Sometimes people sponsor people. I have sponsored men since the very beginning. It works for me. If it doesn't for you, don't do it. Now, there are some reasons why it can't always work. I was married to a man who really, really thought that was great. I've always wished that some man who loved me was just a little bit jealous, not pathologically jealous. I've never had anyone who loved me who was jealous. You'd think they could work up one small defect from... <laughs> so much depends on the situation. It didn't bother him in the least. And then after I was alone, I was available any time. A person could call me day or night as someone could today and isn't bothering anyone else, okay? And I like men a great deal. My life would have been so much less complicated if I had not liked men. Uh, but I would not have missed it, fellas. I'm comfortable with them. I enjoy being with them. I even like the way their minds work, which is pretty weird sometimes. <laughs> I think men in our culture grow up in a, in a different society. I mean, they're from a different planet, you know. <laughs> And so this, this works for me. I only got in trouble doing it once, and that's pretty good in 30 years. And this is because this man and I assumed more recovery on the part of his wife than she had. I, no, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to take a fifth step with you. It would bore you to death for one thing. I had, so therefore I tried to give this gentle, firm guidance that I told you about. I, I believe that most people in the world, maybe everyone, is under-praised and under-touched and under-appreciated. And I can't fill that gap for everybody, but I can for the people whose lives cross mine. I don't believe I have any major relationship that's by accident. And I believe even the most casual uh, crossing of my path with that of someone else can be very meaningful. I'm a very good affirmer. I praise people even when they squirm and deny it. I learned that from my children. When they were teenagers and I was working at high school, I said to my children, you know, if I gripe them out, they handle it just fine. But when I praise them, they squirm and they dig their toe in the dirt and they go all shut, almost, you know. And my daughter said, do it anyway. She said they love it. They just don't know how to handle it. What does this say about us that we can handle criticism better than praise? So I give people that 
are in my life a great deal of practice at handling praise. Emerson, I think Emerson was the greatest mind this country has produced, but then I taught American literature, so indulge me. He said we all feel a great deal more kindness than is ever spoken. And I used to say to 17-year-old students, why don't we speak it? And they said, oh, you feel weird saying that stuff. Well, they felt weird because it wasn't said to them. And it's not part of their, you know, everyday interaction with others. So I have learned to try to say it. And if I say it and the other person is uncomfortable, it's momentary. Besides, he needs to learn to handle it or she. I think um, I gave you some examples of how my sponsor, Donna, gives me gentle guidance. My first sponsor, who I had her for 11 years and then she moved across the country. I can remember saying to her early on in the program, well, I have been telling God, and she interrupted me and said, what? I said, I have been telling him, and I was listing what I was telling him, and she said, instead of giving him instructions, why don't you just report for duty? <laughs> well, that, that's what I mean by gentle and firm guidance. I wouldn't have heard her if she had lectured and shouted. But I think in a good one, we share at a level that few people ever reach. And I think we do not learn our true selves, who we really are, unless we are ourselves with other people. Unless we give the self that we are a chance to come out in the open and be there. So I learn a great deal about me from sponsoring. Example, I hear, oh, a great many fifth steps. Uh, it isn't always necessary to do a fifth step with your sponsor. I recommend it, but I, I hear a lot of them from people I don't sponsor, people that come, you know, from other places. And uh, I learn a lot about me every time I hear one. Some years ago, a woman was telling me, well, first let me tell you that I have heard, as you have if you've heard fifth steps. First of all, there's no original sin. You know that. It's all been done and done and done. Do you remember the movie A Coal Miner's Daughter? They're coming out of the motel after having made love for the first time, and the girl is just mortified. She's just, oh, oh, oh. And the boy, of course, is just strutting around, feeling very good about the whole thing, and he realizes that she's upset, and he turns to her and says, Well, hail, we didn't invent nothing. You didn't invent anything either. I don't care what you've done. You have not invented anything. I have listened to uh, embezzlement and incest and one accessory to murder without moving a muscle, without flinching. But the woman who told me she cheated her way through school nearly got thrown out of my house. <laughs> Do you see how much I learn about me? I was appalled that those are my values, you know. <sighs> I thought I will come up out of this chair and bodily eject her from this house. Now, I hope, no, she couldn't tell that. I think I behaved well. But, oh, my. So if, if we share at a real level, we learn a great deal about ourselves. It also engenders trust. If I'm able to really share with you and find that you understand, and if you don't, you accept, and that uh, no one else hears about it, then I develop trust. I don't know about you, but trust is hard for me. When we get into Al-Anon, a great many of us, well, maybe not you, but a great many of us are real controllers. I used to think this meant we were bossy, 
And I knew that inside I didn't feel bossy. I felt scared. If I'm not in charge, it might not get done. I can't trust anybody else. Does that resonate with you? <laughs> okay. Trust comes hard for me. There's a difference in belief and trust. We talk about this in my group when we talk about step two because I think that's the trust step. Here's another example of that. There can be uh, someone who holds a high political office. And I believe that the person is alive and that he has a great deal of power. That doesn't mean I trust him. Okay? And this is often how I feel about God. But I find that if, if you honor who I am and what I say, my trust is developed. And that, I think any relationship I have with you is reflected in the relationship I have with God. You know, I always have notes and I don't follow them. I don't know why I have them. So everything I'm saying to you nearly is the first time I've verbalized it. <laughs> okay. I read somewhere once in a prayer, the person praying said, God, forgive me because today I was unkind to somebody you love. And every now and then something I read is as if it were in neon. It's as if there were planets colliding over my head, and I thought, wow, that doesn't leave anybody. I mean, there's no one I can be unkind to with impunity. Since the analogy of parent-child is used to represent us and God throughout all sorts of spiritual literature, I believe it must be a valid one. And I know that if you tell me you love me and you're, you mistreat one of my children, it's back to the jungle. I mean, this veneer is, of civilization is very thin if someone hurts your child, isn't it? And so I suppose that means that I can't say to God I love him if I am unkind to one of his children. And this means I have to treat you with respect even if we're not great friends. Because I think my relationship with God is no better than my relationship with his kids. And it's important to me that two go together. And it's true when I'm listening to a fifth step or when I'm sponsoring someone who is driving me crazy. A wonderful AA woman years ago, Gert Bahana, she died a long time ago, she used to have a little label on her phone that said, the person at the other end of this line is a child of God's and loved by him, so watch it. <laughs> I sometimes think that might go on my phone. I get a lot of calls, too. So we share at a level that few people reach. And we don't always become close friends, but when that does happen, it is so neat. The people I sponsor are dedicated to keeping me humble. Now, I like appreciation, but I get a great deal of adulation. I've already said to you, don't do that to people. Uh, I can't seem to control how other people think or feel. Can you imagine that? But if I have these people with me, one of them went with me to the International in New Orleans. When was that? 75. She went around saying to everyone, how much tuition does your sponsor charge you? She said... <laughs> She said, I have to pay mine every Thursday because that's when her cleaning woman comes. And I was grabbing her and saying, hush, they'll believe you. (laughs) Another one says to anyone who will listen, listen, don't get a teacher for your sponsor. She gives me tests. And if I don't maintain a C average, you know. (laughs) 
And I have people who sometimes go with me on a weekend thing like this, those that can afford it and want to. And I have had them, usually when you talk, no matter how dull it was or how bad people will stand out of courtesy and applaud. And I have had some of these people I sponsor when everyone else stands at the end of my talk go, <sighs> and they're sitting always right in the front row. And so um, they're, they're not impressed. I, I tend to be not just dignified, but stuffy. And it gives them a whole lot of pleasure to prick holes in that <laughs> for them. I think it's important that we be accessible. I live alone now again, and as a result, I am totally available to these people. I leave my phone number with the people I sponsor if I'm going to be gone longer than a weekend. They don't always even want it, but I leave it with them. And if someone is in crisis, I leave it even, the phone number of where I'm going to be, I leave it even uh, for a weekend. I have two brothers whom I love a great deal. I know it's not fashionable to love your family, so sue me. I have loved, the, I have loved these men ever since they were tiny boys. And uh, one of them was sent by his company to be in Houston for just a year. Now, that's about 200 miles from me. And the year was nearly up, and I hadn't been over to see them, so we agreed I needed to go. And I went, and they had an unlisted phone number. And rather than uh, write him and ask for it, couldn't call him and ask for it, I just didn't get it, the phone number. And a woman I sponsored had a son who died of an overdose that weekend, and um, he had already, had already had his memorial service before I got back. I could not have prevented that had I been there, but I could have been with her, and it hurt me a great deal that I was not able to do that for her at that time. So I don't leave anymore unless they know where I'm going to be. I think it's important that we be reliable, that I do what I say I will do. One time I was teaching American literature, I I warned you. This was Patrick Henry's speech. Remember the Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death? And he used some words or references that I wasn't sure they knew. For instance, he said, We will not be seduced by the song of the siren. And I said, What is he talking about? Well, most of them had read Ulysses somewhere in growing up, and they knew about the sirens that lured the ships, you know, to the rocks. And he used the word allusion, A-L-L-U-S-I-O-N, and my, my students were hearing illusion with an I. And they don't mean the same thing at all. I was trying to explain that to them. And so I would say, what is he alluding to? When he says, we will not be betrayed by a kiss, I said, what illusion is that? What is he alluding to? Well, in one class, I got total silence. I said, oh, come on. You remember who was betrayed by a kiss? You're not a bunch of heathen things, you know. Nothing. Finally, one little girl in the front row said, me? (laughs) And I thought, I'll bet you were, honey. <laughs> I don't want anyone who is in my life at all to ever feel betrayed, and certainly these people that I that I sponsor need to be able to rely on me. Now, this next point is not vital for your soul's salvation, okay? But it was taught me from the beginning, and it isn't written down anywhere. It's one of these oral traditions, but I like it a great deal. I will not tell you whom I sponsor. They're free to tell anyone they want to. But I don't tell anyone. 
because I, I cannot let them exist as an extension of my ego. This is particularly true if you sponsor someone who becomes, well, I can't say famous in Al-Anon, who does things and earns a lot of respect. And you know, I, I would very much like to say sometimes, well, I'm her sponsor, I'm his sponsor. I don't do that. The question comes up, can you have more than one sponsor? Not if I'm one of them. You can't. And that's, that's a defect on my part. I just, uh, I couldn't even do teen teaching. Hey, what can I tell you? Now, there's an exception to this. I sponsor, sponsor a, two or three dual members. And, of course, they, these people have an AA sponsor. This is a whole new experience. I've never done that until I moved to Austin. I keep bumping into their other illness. And sometimes I will say, I really think that's uh, an issue for maybe your AA sponsor, you know, to talk to. And the AA sponsor is saying, I really think that's an Al-Anon issue. (laughs) It made more interesting fifth steps, I can tell you that. Not everyone who helps us has to have the title of sponsor. My sponsor's never had children. I call Pat Roach in California and talk about children. If I have a, I don't have two sponsors, but... Pat would tell you that I bother her more than I do a sponsor. And I talk to a great many people whose sponsor I am not. And the people I sponsor, I urge to talk to others, especially if they have a situation that I have not had. And when I first started sponsoring men, you're not old enough to remember Ted Koch, but he was chairman of our board of trustees in New York, and we became friends the first year I was delegate, and we remain friends to this day. I'll be in Florida in October, and I will visit him and his wife. They have retired there. Um, I would call Ted and say, here's what I told him. Does that make sense? Is that right? And he would tell me. Because sometimes an issue is not, how can I say this, is not a a defect. It's just male. Okay? And vice versa. The first man that ever came into our Al-Anon group, and this was 1966. I've been in two years. He came in saying no woman could teach him anything. And I thought, well, now, like I, I can't tell you all that. It's a good story. Um, okay, that means you can't talk as long. I mean, you know. I was fortunate to grow up in a family where I was taught no ill will toward any race, denomination, uh, ethnic background of any kind, but with my mother's milk, I got this thing about Yankees. Uh, <laughs> they did not think they were prejudicing me. They thought they were telling me about life as it is. Well, when I went to New York as delegate the first time, my feeling was, one, I will get mugged the minute I step off the plane, and two, these Yankees will be rude and abrupt and abrasive, but for Al-Anon, I can suffer. And when I got there, the, uh, the delegate with whom I had immediate rapport was the one from Pennsylvania. And I thought, I am fraternizing with the enemy. And the second one was Norma McGann, who's still one of our trustees, you know, and she was from Massachusetts. And what happened was that Al-Anon did not leave me the doubtful privilege of doing any stereotyping anymore. Does that make sense? So, uh, first time I talked in New England, I thought, well, this is where the real Yankees are. They will be cold and reserved. 
You know, they're all either Irish or Italian, and they're bombastic and outgoing, and they were wonderful audience. I love to talk in New England. So I'm telling all this to my sponsor, and she said, Oh, Blanche, you mustn't block any channels through which God might reach you. And we talked about it, and some people cannot hear someone of a different race or religion or nationality or age. I have people who can't hear young people. My students taught me so much on a daily basis. And so I just learned this when this man came into our group and said, no woman could teach him anything. All wise, all knowing, I said, you have just eliminated half the channel through which God might reach you. <laughs> He's still a good friend today. I see him every now and then. It's, uh, it's important to me that I not block any channels. That means I have to listen even to people I don't like, and that's unfair. But I never know, <laughs> I never know through whom God will be speaking. And so I urge the people I sponsor not to block channels. Listen, keep an open mind. Um, you may hear just one sentence, but it's the one, you know, that will give you the key for that situation. And I tell them, to talk to others, but I say, if what they tell you conflicts with what I have told you, we better talk about it. And that doesn't mean what I say is always right. Oh, no, not at all. But it means that I want to talk about it if they're hearing conflicting principles from other people. I'm sometimes jealous when they can hear from other people what they couldn't hear when I told them. I'm jealous anyhow. It's glaring defect. God has not seen fit to remove, or I have not been willing. Which do you think? <laughs> a couple of examples. I was sponsoring a man who, after two or three years, called me and said, and you must understand that what he quoted to me, I had said to him several thousand times. He said, you know what I heard the other day? You can say to new people, you can say, you don't have to live this way anymore. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Well, that time I managed to say, isn't it, though? I'm going to remember that. That's very good. But another man in Austin was in an absolutely impossible marriage. I never said, leave or stay. What I said was, you have to take care of yourself, and if, if that requires leaving, you don't need to feel guilty. And I said that for three years. He was one that I suggested strongly that he get some additional help, and he did. And he called me after his first session with a professional counselor, a man who was really very wise and wonderful in Austin. He said, you know what he told me? He said that if I have to leave, I don't have to feel guilty. Well, that did it. I stepped outside my program for a few minutes. And, see, I am very good at sarcasm. I mean, I am... So good. It's, it's a shame to have a God-given talent and not be allowed to use it. So I said to him, that's wonderful. I said, you know, you would have thought in three years, I might have thought of that. He said, now, don't be that way. I guess, I guess I could hear him because he's a professional. And I said, you chauvinist pig, you heard him because he's a man. That's why you heard it. I was enraged, so I don't always handle it well. But I am... And they tolerate me, the people I sponsor. One of my dual members was talking about some things with her husband, and now they're both alcoholic, okay? And I, I wanted to say, Nina, Nina, Nina. <laughs> but I said, uh-huh, how do you like it? I said, doesn't feel good. 
And she said, that's true, Blanche. But right now, that isn't a very helpful remark. So I tried to come up with something more helpful than that. They, they usually will cut me some slack when I'm outside my program. Can you fire a sponsor? Yes. Oh, I have been fired. The one that hurt the most was this kid who said, I really need a younger sponsor. <laughs> he just didn't know who I was. <laughs> That's what my sponsor says when I tell her these things. She'll say, oh, he didn't know who you were. <laughs> and she'll say, who are you? <laughs> Can we resign a sponsor? Oh, yes. And I've certainly done that a number of times. I write, I believe very strongly in closure. And so we either talk about it or I write you a note. And I say, I think it's time that we redefine our relationship. See, I don't know how to do anything casually. And that's not always a good thing, but I don't know how. That's who I am today. So I'm not a casual sponsor. And so often I say or write, I believe you would be happier with a more casual sponsor. And I don't say, and most of them are, or the world is full of them, you'll have no trouble finding one. I was married the second time to a man who sponsored 20 or 25 people in AA, more or less. Sometimes he was uh, telling he was a Pisces. What can I tell you? They just sort of did. <laughs> he, uh, he wasn't as hung up on rules as I am. I'm either your sponsor or I'm not. It's like being pregnant, you know. And if I'm not, we settle that. And if I am, then I've told you what we do. It's... Uh, it's impossible for me to work with more than one newcomer at a time. If I take on a newcomer, it's two or three years then before I take on another newcomer. I mentioned my sponsor lives in Dallas, and that's 200 miles north of me, 180. Um, I don't think it's best to have an out-of-town sponsor, but sometimes after 10 or 20 or 30 years, you can work it out. And I sponsor two people who are out of town, and we do, we do very well. We write, we call, they come to see me, I go to see them. So you can get guidance on that as well as anything. I mentioned that I believe that God is the source and people are the channels. I think it's all right to love the channel as long as I realize that's what this person is. I tend, uh, I don't love casually either. I have the scars to show for that. The people I love can do no wrong, or if they did, they had a good reason. That's how I feel about it. And so um, I, I have no problem with loving the channel. I have some problems when people mistake me for the source instead of the channel. If you can love me as a channel, great. But if you begin to think I'm the source, we have a problem. I get a great many letters. I don't know about other people who do a lot of speaking. I get four or five a day. People who have heard a tape or have heard me talk. Or, I never started out, you know, to be the dear Abby of Al-Anon. And they asked the strangest thing. One recent one, what does Alamon teach about bisexuality? We don't have time for that, but that's the kind of thing I get sometimes. And um, then I get some that just express appreciation. Some years ago, I had a long letter from a woman in California. And she said some very extravagant things. Of course I'm gratified if something I've said is useful to somebody because things you all have said everywhere I go are certainly useful to me. But this was just really extravagant. My son was home at that time and I had him read it. I said, I don't know how to answer something like that. 
And he handed it back to me and he said, Mother, she didn't know anyone else to thank, but you do, don't you? And uh, I do. So if people mistake me for the source, I am able most of the time to turn myself into a channel and send the gratitude where it really belongs. I pray for, oh, I pray for guidance. Every day that I taught school and every day that I was a counselor, if I'd known I was going to quote this so often, I would have learned the Latin for it. It's a Latin phrase, but it translates, first of all, do no harm. And I used to pray, if I can't help them, at least let me not hurt one of them. And this is my prayer in sponsoring also. I've learned that I mustn't sponsor unless I can handle rejection, because that will happen. I don't want people to be angry with me. But I'm well enough today, most of the time, to be a safe person for your anger. Now, it's easy enough for me to listen if you're angry at someone else and you want to tell me about it. But if you're angry with me, most of the time, I can hear your anger without retaliating and without going away. And that's one of the best gifts anyone can give us, is to be a safe person for our anger. I tell these people, if there's ever a conflict between our friendship and your recovery, your recovery comes first. And there hasn't been enough of a conflict through these years that I've lost a friendship. But sometimes there is a conflict. And as a friend, I want to do it one thing, but as a sponsor, I'm dedicated to recovery. I've had to remember we don't get healthy behavior from sick people. I keep expecting it. And, you know, we wouldn't be here if we were well. I learned, of course, to detach. Not from the person, but the problem. When I became a school counselor, people would say, I couldn't do that. I couldn't listen to problems all day. Well, I had been doing that for a number of years, you know, before I became a school counselor. And I was able, most of the time, to love the person and not take on the problem. I try how me. And I've only done that two or three times. They've said, oh, yes, I will. <laughs> they have my number, you know. And, of course, we, we help pick up the pieces when the consequences are disastrous. My problem among many is that I want to teach everything I know at once. I'm having that problem with you all. Besides, uh, you're much better listeners than most of the people I sponsor. Uh, I, I try not to do that, and because I did learn it in teaching, I'm willing to go over it again and again and again. And so that is something I can give them. I try not to protect them from my bad days. I try to share my pain, too. But as I've said, there are a number who don't want to hear it. And sometimes I think, well, tough, you can just handle it. And then there are days when I think, I have friends who can handle it. And uh, I won't I won't dump it on this person here. For years, you know, I couldn't do that at all. I was wise and wonderful all the time. That'll kill you. But I tried that. That's one way to avoid the cult, by the way, is to let people know who you really are, you know. Reciprocal relationships are hard for me. I'm a very good student and I'm a very good mentor. But e equality, there aren't any rules for that and I have some problems with that. Uh, I'm better than I used to be is all I can tell you. Most of the time I take care of myself emotionally. I don't let anyone impose on me ever. That means you're free to ask me for anything. And you wouldn't be otherwise. You see, I won't say no, I won't say yes and then resent you. And I won't say yes and carry around the grudge. It's uh, very important that I do that. So the people who deal with me on any basis, 
know that I will take care of myself. That means they don't have to. I hope this makes sense. There are people who say, well, I would have told you, but I didn't want to impose. And I say, I won't let you impose. Call me. You know, if I can't talk, I'll tell you. They're taking care of me. And I say, I'll take care of me. Part of your recovery is learning that you don't have to take care of me. That's one of our fine lines. It's in our blueprint for progress. Have I learned to ask for help without imposing? One more thought, and then I'm going to listen to some of yours. I respond to a program that includes a mentor because I think I was a teacher for so many years and I've always been a student. And so I'm predisposed to think this is a good way to learn something. I enjoyed teaching and I enjoy being taught. But there are people I love and whose program I respect who prefer to work for recovery without sponsorship. That is their prerogative. That is a viable choice for them and it is not mine to judge them. I have benefited personally so much from having a sponsor and from being one. So this process fits my personal program. I do understand that it might not fit everyone's program of recovery. I have learned that if I ask God, he will send me the right sponsor. And if I ask him, he will help me to be the right sponsor. I have some questions that I hope you'll be willing to share with us. Um, I need someone. Hey, where are you? Oh, she called me. <laughs> um, hand these out to people. One, oh, yes. No, I, I hope these are people who either have a sponsor or are being sponsored, one or the other. Because it has to do with that, and if you're not there yet, then you can take a question next time. I wanted this part taped. Uh, I was told that we couldn't use that one for taping. So that means that I would like you to come up here. Uh, the number of your question, let's say if you get one or two or three or four, you can come up now. And that way you can read it into both microphones and answer it, share with us your experience, and then we won't have long pauses while we're waiting for people to come up, okay? Who has number one? Will you who have two, three, and four come on up also so you can be next in line? Tell us your name and who you are. Because I don't know. My name is Patty, and I'm uh, from Aberdeen, South Dakota. Alan on uh, Aberdeen Monday night. It says, in your opinion and experience, when is someone ready to become a sponsor? Is there a length of time? Do you have to be an X number of years before you can be a sponsor? What do you think? I'm not really sure. I think... Um, with me, um, it took a few years <laughs> before I felt I was ready. Um, when I felt comfortable um, myself with the uh, prospect of being a sponsor, I had a sponsor since the beginning. So um, it was just when I felt comfortable. I don't think there's any length of time yet. That's changed this. No. Okay, thank you.
Hi, everybody. My name is Jim. I'm an alcoholic. Hi. We're glad to be here with you today. I'm not a regular member of Al-Anon. I have went. I need to go again, but I'm tickled to death to be here with you this morning, and I love Al-Anon very much. My question, uh, so I don't even know if I'm qualified to stand here, but thank you. That My question is, <laughs> my question is, why are we encouraged to take sponsors of the same sex? I've been emotionally involved with every female I've ever met to begin with. And I don't want to screw this thing up for anybody. And that's my main reason. People, uh, Females have asked me, and I would never say no to anyone. That's what I've been taught. But I have one absolute with a female, and that's that she have a female sponsor in addition to. And I'm usually fired on the spot. In fact, it's I, I don't sponsor a female today. I don't know how anybody else does it, but for their sake, I wouldn't want to. Thank you. Let me say one thing before. My children were in Alateen for 10 years each. My son uh, has always liked girls. And um, one time, when we were talking about this very thing, the whole family, he said, but you know, when you share mentally and emotionally and spiritually, your body says, me too, me too. Hi, I'm Karen. Um, my question is, has your relationship with your sponsor changed over time? In what ways? I've been in the program a little over six years, and when I was in the program for about four months, I did get a sponsor, and I loved her dearly then, and I still love her dearly now. But for the last three, four years, we've had some problems. She's married too, but she's unable to have children. And I've got five, and I had two in the last three or four years. So I've got five children now, and it hurt her. And I just, I got busy. I didn't have the time, you know. I was her sponsor, and she was my sponsor, and I didn't have the time for her, and I think there was some jealousy. And one day she came to the house and said, I've picked someone else as a sponsor. I don't want you anymore, and it hurt me deeply. But I thought to myself in my mind while she was telling me this, well, I don't want you for a sponsor no more either. <laughs> but I didn't tell her that, and... She got really, really, like, obsessed with me. She called me continuously all the time, and she came to my house every single night, and I was, like, busy with the kids and everything. You know, I didn't mind, you know, like, maybe two or three times a week coming to my house, but this was, like, every night, and it made me sick. I went around. We would watch television in the dark at night. I went around the house and would shut all the Venetian blinds, and when the phone would ring, I had a special code. I had to tell everybody to dial one and then hang up and then call back, and... But now, my youngest one will be two in August, and our relationship is getting better. She's coming around. We're starting to do things more now. We're starting to go to meetings again. I guess it's something that took a long time for me to get over and plus a long time for her to get over, but she's helped me a lot. <laughs> so that's how the relationship with my sponsor has changed over time, and that's in the ways it has changed. So thank you. I'm, I'm not in hiding, really. <laughs> Hello, I'm Judy, grateful Hi, member Judy. of Al-Anon. Hi. Uh, my question is, do we ever outgrow our need for a sponsor? And I would say no. We, um, God is always there for us. Our sponsor will always be there for us. I know I don't utilize my sponsor as much as I should, and she is here today, but I'm thankful that I know that she is there when I do need her, you know, not 
when I have a problem, but when I don't have a problem. So I'm just very thankful that uh, we've got the information for sponsorship and uh, we get it out to other people and uh, you know, we'll always need our sponsor. So thank you very much. Hi, my name is Bonnie. My question is, is it necessary that you do everything just as your sponsor does it? Uh, my feeling is your sponsor is there to guide you, direct you, and give you suggestions. What works for her doesn't always work for you. So she's there just kind of as a, a help and a guideline that you have to do what you have to do. Hi, I'm Carol from Washington. Number six is, can sponsorship be reciprocal? That is, can two people sponsor each other, and how does that work? In the sponsor relationship that I have with my sponsor, um, and with, I know at least one of the people that I sponsor myself, it's kind of like what Blanche said in that you never know which channel you're going to find the source, and that not everybody we share with, I guess, um, the three of us are also friends mutually, too. And I know we do a lot of sharing between each other, my sponsor and I, I know she has a sponsor, and I really appreciate hearing that sometimes when she says, I really need to call my sponsor. It lets me know that it's okay when I really need her. And I, I appreciate that. When she says that helps me know, too, that there's days that she's going to have bad days, and she needs that someone to go to. She and I do not sponsor each other. We do a lot of sharing. I know she calls me to share sometimes, but she's not really looking for a sponsor in that sense, but I do need her. Um, it probably can work for others, but I'm glad that she has her own sponsor, and I'm glad that I have mine, and I'm glad that I have someone to sponsor, too. It's kind of a chain of events, I guess, in a way. But um, My sponsor and I do not sponsor each other. Hi, I'm Elaine, and I'm from Mount Pleasant and um, Burlington. Uh, my question is, as a sponsor, would you allow someone to start out with you as his or higher, his or her higher power? To keep it simple, no. <laughs> I, I guess, um, when I read this, it's, I've tried being a higher power in the past, <laughs> and I, I've given up that position. So, um, that's a good question. Uh, to be honest, I don't know, but I see the question is allow someone to start out with uh, as um, higher power uh, suggestions, I suppose, of attending meetings and uh, praying. And what's worked for me is prayer. Um, that's the only suggestion at this time that I would have uh, to reach that higher power. Uh, in the beginning, I did use meetings. Uh, that was where I got my answer. Uh, for a lot of things, and I use that as my higher power. Um, so that's all I could do is give them what I had experienced. Um, but I'm not a higher power, and that's all I, I could say. Number eight. Oh. I have number eight, uh, Ray. Uh, the question is, is it important to set guidelines at the beginning of a sponsoring relationship? Why and why not? Sitting there, uh, seeing, reading the question, I figure that belongs to, this question belongs to someone else, but it's not true. Uh, <coughs> um, my sponsoring and 
being sponsored and sponsorship has not been real strong in my my program. Um, and part of that possibly is is because uh, I have difficulty with setting pre-setting down what the rules are. That's in printer everything I do. I I don't have a concept of the the pre-guidelines, and uh, that's probably the why and the why not some works and for me and and uh, uh, maybe why it, something could work better. Uh, one of the things I tend to do is if I have a I get someone in the uh, range of uh, I put in authority. I want to overuse that. I want to, to set them on a pedestal, and uh, then I will use it incorrectly. And so for me, I have felt that my higher power has used this to help me grow in, in a way that I can't misuse them. And it seems as when I have tried to... Uh, it didn't work. They weren't there. Um, I could ring the phone several times and there's no answer. I don't know if, if it's because I have misdialed the phone number or what. Because uh, I've had numerous things like that have happened. Uh, supposedly they had an answering machine. But when I called, there was no answering machine. Either. And so... Uh, I put this in the category of my higher power working for me and doing the better for me. And uh, that's where I'm at. Thank you. Hi, my name is Dee, and I'm from Davenport, Iowa. Hi. Uh, my question is, how do you decide how many people you can effectively sponsor? Well, I really haven't set an amount. It seems like I have not ever said no to anyone, uh, but it has worked out. I've had quite a few people I was supposedly sponsoring, but some of these people don't always call, and some do. Some call all the time. So I have found as long as I have the time, I'm willing to give the time because I've received so much from my sponsors and... Uh, so much from the program. So I don't know. I feel it must be God guiding the people that, I, that come to me. And uh, so I just uh, let it flow. If I get too many, I suppose there will be a time I'll have to say no. But at this time, I have not. And it seems like they do call at different times. And, and it's uh, some call more often than others. So. I'm Jean from Council Bluffs. My question is, how do you say no to someone who asks you to be his or her sponsor without discouraging that person? First, I would thank them for asking me to be their sponsor. And then, if I felt I had too many people that I was sponsoring, I would suggest maybe one or two people that I know personally and try to guide them to someone that who would, you know who would be their sponsor. I would leave the door open that if they needed to talk to me before they found someone, you know, I'd be willing to talk with them. But I would try to channel them to someone I felt that 
was working a program and who would be a good sponsor for him. I'm Neil from Council Bluffs. Uh, my question, if you feel that you have taken a person as far as you can and that he or she needs a different sponsor, how do you tell him or her? Um, I've had uh, quite a few different ones that have asked me to sponsor them over the years, and then somehow or other they either just kind of drift away or they just put Tom and Alan on, and I'm not really sure why. Um, so I've really not ever had the uh, occasion that I need to tell somebody that I can no longer be your sponsor. Uh, and how do you let go? Uh, I think if I did, I would have to let go with love and let them know that I still cared about them, whether they chose to have me as their sponsor anymore or to come to the program even. Uh, um, for myself, I've had the same sponsor ever since I've had a sponsor, but there was a number of years when I first got into the program that I didn't think I needed one, and then I couldn't find this right person and stuff like that, you know. But I uh, didn't use her then for a long time, but as now I do use my sponsor. I at least try to call her at least once a week. I may not catch her home, but uh, at least I try to call. I'm Doris, and I'm from Cedar Rapids. And my question is, when is, when is it time for you to change sponsors, and how do you go about it? Well, I'm real fortunate. I've had the same sponsor ever since I've been in the program, and I don't feel a need to change. Uh, I have had a person call me. She's never outright asked me to be her sponsor, but she's called me and talked to me quite a bit. And there was a time where I had to suggest that she find somebody else to call and talk to because I myself was getting very frustrated. And after I got off the phone from talking to her, I had to call my sponsor to get help. Uh, it was she wouldn't go to meetings you know I was supposed to give her the entire program which I'm quite incapable of doing because you need the feedback from everybody in the program you need the fellowship and you have to be involved in order to get anything out of this program and you can't get it over the telephone and it was real difficult for me to, to suggest that she find somebody else and whether she did or not I don't know but a couple of months later she started calling me again and she started showing up at meetings and whether it was right or wrong, it, it got her back for a while. Hi, everyone. I'm Chris from Cedar Rapids. It says, can you sponsor someone you don't really like? Why or why not? This is a good one. Um, I guess I feel I'm more of a pessimist than a, uh, I mean an optimist more than a pessimist. Um, I feel that there's no really person um, that you don't really like. There's some aspects of them that you like, some aspects that you don't. But uh, I've never come across a person that I totally dislike completely. Um, I have to keep an open mind. Um, because when I don't like or see something that I don't like, I can look back and think, oh, my God, those are some of the same traits that I have, you know. Uh, so it keeps an open mind for me to look at myself. Um, how do you know that you don't really like that individual unless you get to know that individual? 
And the only way that you can know that individual is by talking with them and sharing with them uh, the care and the love. In our closing statement, it says, you may not like all of us, but you'll come to love us in a very special way. Um, That's very important. Um, And also, I think what's important is the gift of time. We need to give each other the gift of time to grow and to learn and to share. Hi, I'm Jorinda from Mason City. I knew I wanted to sit in the back for a reason, and I should have. Um, mine is, how can you keep sponsorship from being a cult? I guess um, when I first came into the program and got my sponsor, I just changed. I had my uh, spouse as my God and was on my pedestal. And what I did was I replaced him with my sponsor. And she was my, my God, and she everything she said was right, and I idolized her, and, and I thought that everything she did was perfect. Until I came to a meeting one time, and she was in there, and she was ready to resign from Al-Anon. And um, I looked at her, and I thought, this is the woman that I chose to be a sponsor? She doesn't have a perfect program after all? So I realized then that um, she's not God, and that there is only one higher power. And so, um, therefore, in the person that I sponsor, I only have one, one sponsoree right now, but um, I try to, to make sure that she realizes that I'm human too and that um, I, I can show my vulnerability and my sad spots. And I go to meetings, and I've been ready to quit a few times too. So that's the way I can try to keep it from, being, from my part being a call. Everybody else I can't control or have anything to do with. Thank you. Hi, I'm Alice from Mason City. Mine is, how do you best use your sponsor? Um, I feel very fortunate. I have a very good sponsor. She's not only my sponsor, she's my friend. Um, I feel like when I first came in the program, I feel this way now that she really kicked me. And she really pushed me hard. And um, there was times that, you know, I, I got angry with her. But I needed to hear what she said to me. And then I would call her and say, well, I'm sorry, you know, um, I guess I need to do that. Um, I feel now that she's kind of backed off a little bit with me. She she doesn't kick me now. She gives me a gentle nudge. And... Um, I don't know, our relationship is, is really good. Uh, I feel I can call her anytime, day or night. And sometimes um, I don't even have to say anything to her. She'll just give me that sponsor look, you know. And <laughs> she told me not to say this, but I said it anyway. <laughs> um, I, I can call her any time, and that, that really feels good because there are times that I, I, I do need her, and she's always there for me. Thanks. I'm always stimulated by discussion. I always want to say, yes, and have you thought of, you know. So let me add a few things to this. Back to sponsoring men and women. I don't do platonic too well either, but if it's a structured relationship, 
I'm fine. And with the men I sponsor, if anything ever comes up, and it rarely does, I'm able to say, hey, we made that decision the day I agreed to be your sponsor. And that's it. Uh, it doesn't usually come up because it's only happened to me when we were both not married. I really am not into infidelity and don't encourage it in people I sponsor. That doesn't mean they don't do it, but... I try not to. I do fine as long as uh, this is understood that this is our relationship. I did fine, you know, with students, even when I was not much older than they were, you know. Uh, on being, on having the guidelines, that doesn't work for everyone. Uh, my husband, it would not have occurred to him to ever say, I can't sponsor you unless you. But see, I really can't. And that may be my limitation. And I didn't mean to imply at all that this is necessary. I was interested in hearing what you thought about that. This is hard for me to say, but I will say it. If you uh, become known in either fellowship, there are people who want you to sponsor them so they can say that you are their sponsor. You understand that? And I find that if I set guidelines, suddenly they aren't nearly as eager to have me be their sponsor, regardless. On deciding how many people you can effectively sponsor, I can do three or four. Uh, I know fine, good people. I have an Alanon friend in Houston that sponsors 25 people. I don't know how well you know Houston, but these women are, could have been out of the same cookie cutter. They're all River Oaks matrons. You have an equivalent of River Oaks in every city in the world. They look like something out of Mademoiselle magazine, you know, Vogue. And um, she does a wonderful job with them. She has them over to her house once a month for potluck, and they all just talk. I did that for a few years with the people I sponsored, but mine are such a motley crew. <coughs> I sponsored one young woman who's lesbian, and I listened to her when we had sponsored gatherings. And I wanted to see if these people would say to each other what they said to me. Because I thought it was important that when I am not in town, there be someone that they felt comfortable with and who had the same upbringing <laughs> in the program. And it took her six months to use a pronoun. Um, I was delighted that she finally felt accepted enough, you know, that she could do that. When... Uh, that's because, too, I'm having just three or four. I don't know how to do it casually. A number of you have said, well, they never call. I call them. I used to do it and say, did you graduate? I... <laughs> Why did I tell you? I told you I was good at that. Um, I try not to do that anymore. I wrote a note to a man I sponsored, mailed it as I left town. It said, I haven't seen you or heard from you in a while. I hope you're all right. I'll be in Austin whenever. Maybe we can get together. Um, here again, I'm not going to get healthy behavior from sick people, and that includes me, but sometimes I've used the tools a little longer than these people have. And I figure uh, they don't always know when they need help. They really don't. And so I don't mind in the least. I won't do all the calling, you know, all the contacting, on uh, telling someone that perhaps he needs a different sponsor, 
I have said to people who quit the program, well, if you're not in an Al-Anon group, then of course you don't need an Al-Anon sponsor. And this hasn't so far made anyone angry. I use the term I mentioned to you earlier. I say perhaps we need to redefine our relationship. We can just be friends. And often that's it. I am always sorry if someone quits going, but today I don't have to decide whether, you know, that's God's will for that person or not. Let me talk some more about the cult, because it scares me. I went to talk somewhere not long ago, and the woman who uh, met my plane and got me to the hotel, I said, I had a lot of stuff with me, and I said, uh, let's see if they have a, a bellboy, you know, someone to help with all this. And she said, oh, I can get someone I sponsor. She rounded up three or four women and said, get her luggage up to her room. And I'm just standing there, you know, slack-jawed. <sighs> I know a woman who has told the people she sponsors when they can start having relationships again. And with whom? It just appalls me. It just, uh, chills my blood. And uh, I know an AA whom I love a lot. And the people he sponsors clean up his yard every Saturday. I never was able to get that kind of slave labor. I don't... <laughs> but you need to know it happens. And whoever answered that said, uh, if you, you know, let them know you too have pain and bad days and all, they don't tend to regard you as a guru quite so much. I think one way I can let them know that is not to make decisions for them, and a lot of them want me to. Well, tell me what to do. No. Um, I can help them see what their options are. I can tell them, I think you might use your program this way. But good grief, I'd be scared to tell them what to do. Now, you understand when I got to you, I knew exactly what they were supposed to do, or anyone else. It is such a freedom not to have to decide for everybody. I don't sponsor my daughter or son, but I will tell you that a few years ago, my daughter and her husband were divorced, and then... I guess two years after that, I was in Hawaii to talk at a convention. I mean, somebody has to do it. Hey. Uh, she called me and said, Dan and I are going to remarry. Now, in, in our family, with my children, it works if we say to each other, I'm only going to say this once. That's not a threat. That's a promise. That means I don't care what I've done in the past. I'm really not going to say this every hour on the hour. You can trust me. Now, they will tell you I say it once every visit, but they lie. I don't. <laughs> and I said to her, I'm only going to say this once, darling, but I feel as if I'm watching you put your head back in an oven. She said, I know, I'm scared. Lived together three or four more years, and then they were divorced. But see, she gave it the second chance. And I can remember hanging up that phone and thinking, wow, I'm glad that's not my decision. So I had come a long way from thinking I knew what you ought to do in every situation to being so glad I don't have to decide about that. We have some time. Uh, I would love to hear comments, questions, whatever from any of you. Did we inspire any thoughts in you? No. Well, thanks a lot. I Oh, it was early. Listen, if I could do it, anybody can do it. Yes. Oh, I told you there are three. 
you have to go to meetings, you have to work the steps, and you have to let me be sick too. They aren't, I mean, those aren't hard questions. <laughs> yeah, that's all I tell them. I really don't know how to sponsor someone that doesn't go to meetings that won't work the steps. I, I'm, I'm helpless with people like that. What else? Well, maybe they can, but that's their problem if they can. Yeah. Oh, she said about imposing, if you ask for help, that it's good to know that that's not her responsibility. And I believe very strongly that if you're imposed on, you deserve it. I really do. You don't have to let anybody impose on you. I think some people just enjoy being a victim. You know, they suffer. But can you see how that frees people? Anyone who knows me knows they don't have to worry about, is this going to bother her? How will she take this? I'll take care of that. I hope it gives them her freedom anyway. Somebody else? Yeah. Good question, Jorinda. That's a good one. Did all of you hear her? Um, if I'm your second sponsor, yes, you have to go through it all again. <laughs> I just agreed to sponsor a woman who lives a couple of hours out of Austin, and uh, she's been in 20 years. And she asked me the same thing. And I said, I, I need to know these things about you or I won't be very useful to you. So she's doing another inventory, and we will do a fifth step. It ne- it won't be as difficult for her as I'm sure the first one. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd have you do that. That's for my benefit as well as yours. I need to know you very well if we're going to get anything done. Some of you looked. When you teach school long enough, you learn to read your audience. Uh, some of you looked doubtful when I was talking about closure. I have a master's degree in psychology, and I always swear I will not, I will not back you into a corner and spray psychological jargon all over you, okay? <laughs> but just let me say that anyone who studies human behavior believes that closure is important. That's why we have funerals. And if it doesn't take place, you're left with an unresolved something. It's just hanging. And sometimes it may be difficult for you or painful, but I think it will be worse if you don't do it. If I resign as someone's sponsor, as I told you, I put it in writing most of the time. Sometimes I just talk to them. Uh, I believe there has to be a time when we uh, end something. I think there should be a ceremony for divorce. I really do. I think there needs to be something that indicates closure. And if I were running the world, (laughs) because the piece of paper doesn't do it, you know, it takes more than that. So I would urge you to at least be firm about this one thing. Either you're a sponsor or you're not, and either, you know, you have one or you don't, and that's your privilege either way. What else? Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Well, but all of you hear her, how do you handle it? And there's been closure and then you're finding someone else. The young man who fired me because I, he needed a younger sponsor had no problem. He just got a younger sponsor. <laughs> he said, we don't even listen to the same music. And I thought, I didn't know that was part of the program. But anyway. <laughs> My first sponsor, as I said, moved across the country, so there was no difficulty then. Uh, if, but if you're in the same town or the same group, I think it's important that you talk about that. I had a woman once say to me, but this is when my children were little, and she said, I have grown children, and I really need someone that can talk to me about that. And uh, I said, great. We talked about who might possibly do it. And there, I hope there wasn't any awkwardness about it. And this is part of my deep south upbringing, but if my mother said it once, she said it a thousand times, it doesn't take any longer to say it nicely. And I don't have total skills in communication, but I have some. And usually I think that can be handled with tact and diplomacy. Someone else had a hand up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, that works for a lot of people in a lot of places. People will say, I'll be your temporary sponsor until you find one. Or someone else will say to the newcomer, Susie will be your sponsor until you find one. That just means that Susie, for a few months, will try to see that you are getting to meetings and answer your question as a newcomer. The only flaw I see with that is that when the newcomer wants the sponsor, he or she may feel obligated to ask Susie. And that may not be the person that he would have chosen at all. But yes, that seems to work a lot of places. We don't do it in anywhere I know in Texas. But I've certainly been places where they do. I would ask someone, who is your sponsor? See, what I think works best is that you audition for a sponsor. Don't tell them that's what you're doing. But, you know, you meet someone that you can really hear, and you think, this person has a lot of emotional sobriety. So you say, could we have coffee? Could we go for lunch? Whatever. And you talk. And you don't say, I'm shopping for a sponsor. <laughs> and um, I believe you can match yourself up better if you go to a lot of groups and hear a lot of people. You can't do that in a town with one group, but you can in other towns. I think the cult happens when you get very vulnerable new people who don't know and who um, so want to be told what to do. And they find someone who's very willing to tell them. Uh, someone who forgets that he or she's a channel, you know, and not the source. I guess it scares me because there are people who, uh, gosh, how can I say this? If you've heard a lot of my tapes, if you've read a lot of what I've written, you know me very well, and I don't know you at all. And you may be inclined to attribute to me 
virtues that I do not have. Because of course I talk the talk better than I walk the walk. Of course I do. And it's, um, it takes both of us, but I do have ways of discouraging you from thinking that. And they were mentioned. One of them is letting you know when I'm hurting. That's hard for me to do if you don't want to know. That's like, okay. I mentioned my group's reaction when my husband was dying. Uh, there are people who would listen to my pain, and I went to them. Our literature says don't go to the hardware store for bread. And I don't go to people who don't have it to give, whatever it is. And it's um, it's also important that I not make decisions for them. That prevents a cult. It's important that I urge them to talk to other people. You know, things like, well, you know, uh, Catherine has stepchildren. Maybe she could help you. That kind of thing. I think we can prevent it if we want to. I can't prevent their adulation, but I can prevent buying into it. Yeah. You know, I've seen that work just beautifully. Uh, when, when I joined Al-Anon, our group had been in existence a year, maybe a year. We had six members. My sponsor had a year, and so I thought she knew everything. But there we were, the blind leading the blind. And here again in West Texas, certainly in 1964, there were not a lot of people who had any time in the program. And so I, I know cases where it worked just fine. What have you learned? Well, hey, listen, this is what I've learned. And it's uh, kind of a mutual sharing. I, I find it easier for someone to lead me who has been down that path. But I've seen it work when you go down the path together. So whatever works for you. Yeah. That's another talk. I do... <laughs> I do a lot of workshops on the steps. Okay, you already know that I like structure. I work better within a framework of here's what we're going to do if we can. And that's okay as long as you're flexible. In general, I see someone every week through step five. Every week. And we talk about how I did that step, what worked for me, and what I know has worked for other people. And then this person has some you know, some sort of guidelines to follow. Of course, now we have a lot of literature on that. We didn't used to have that. I see the person at least every two weeks through step nine. And I understand sometimes you're on vacation and sometimes you're sick and all this is general. And then, uh, I don't know, I, I don't like to go more than a month without seeing someone I sponsor. I don't keep tabs on it. I just sort of mentally realized that. And I have never yet said to anyone I sponsor, well, call me if you need me. I I think it needs to be an un- ongoing, you know, kind of thing. But on the steps, I share my experience and what I've read and what I've seen other people do. I think it's important to take every step with your sponsor or with someone. I learned that from my friends in AA. Not just the fifth step. Mm-hmm, I do. I had this darling young man, lawyer. It was real neat to have a resident lawyer. You can ask all these things, you know. And I ended up doing most of the calling, and I said, I, I believe you'd be happier with a more casual sponsor. 
He said, it hasn't been that long. I said, yeah, it really has. But that's how I do it. That doesn't mean that's how you have to do it. Yeah. Oh, this point. Not every one with a strong, active program goes into service. Now, I'm talking about an elected office. I don't mean arranging the chairs, you know, helping with the coffee. And if I had a sponsor who uh, was not in service, I would get a service sponsor, yes. Besides, yes. I'm glad you mentioned that. I didn't think of that. Um, I have not ever been anyone's service sponsor, nor had one. My sponsor, Donna, was a delegate from Arkansas. Well, before I was delegate, and that's been a while. And uh, I guess, she, you know, I used her. I was taken to assemblies and conferences before I knew what they were. My first sponsor said, I don't want you to think the four walls where we meet constitute Al-Anon. And I thought of that the other day. Some friends and I were going to another assembly and we took one of our Alateens. And he was saying, you know, I, I, for years I thought the first step was get in the car. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but yes, I think service sponsors are a great idea. And if it bothers your sponsor, you can say, well, why don't you ask the BGR? Yeah, what? Borrow money from their sponsor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, see, in a perfect world, the person doing that has a sponsor also who slaps her wrist and says, no, no, no. You know, <laughs> That's not what we do. Uh, if she herself doesn't have a sponsor, then I wonder why someone asked her you know, to be their sponsor. But maybe newcomers don't know better. I don't know. Um, I would probably let them learn from experience. I'm a great believer in letting people experience the consequences of their decisions. And that's painful for me sometimes. With every cell of my being, I want to rescue you, you know. Well, if we have time to go to the bathroom before Lois gives her report, I guess we better stop. You're a great audience. Thank you. I always learn things.